In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. A few weeks ago, someone in one of my circles posted on Twitter about the fact that Lent was coming back around. And I think, at least I heard it like sort of a tweet of panic. And I commented on it saying, can Lent really be coming back around if it never really ended? And, you know, people in my circles, of course, clergy mostly laughed at that because it feels true. We are about to enter a season where we focus on sacrifice and repentance, where we're supposed to dig in and do some hard spiritual work, sifting through our lives and our intentions and our relationships and where God fits into all of that. And honestly, does that sound like what you need right now? Here we are now reaching a year almost of our pandemic season and we're supposed to descend back into Lent when it feels to me and I think to many others, maybe even to you, like Lent never really ended. Now, as a priest, admittedly, I probably shouldn't say that. The church year has moved on. We celebrated Easter and Christmas. As people, we had a summer and time passed. Kids grew, things changed, meaningful work was done, and relationships were deepened. Life went on in many, many ways. But in some ways, the seriousness of the season of Lent, the somber note, the distance, the fasting from the things that we love and the people we love, the need to constantly turn our eyes back to God to remind ourselves that we aren't in charge and to rely on God's grace. Do you need a reminder that we aren't in charge? <laughs> for most of us, and I'm speaking for myself here as well, I feel like the season of Lent never really ended. Like Lent never really left us, even though the church calendar moved on, even though our lives moved on. I feel like this is the longest, lentiest Lent anyone has ever had. And so this morning, I want to be honest with you that as I looked at these texts this week and realized where we were in the calendar, I really struggled with what to say and where to find the good news. Because these stories that we hear this morning aren't actually happy stories. And because we are standing together on the precipice of Lent, looking at texts that are all about transition and crossing over thresholds and the change in season and a change in journey. Now in both the gospel and our text from Hebrew scriptures this morning, we have this same sense of standing on the precipice of something. Everyone is on the brink of something. Different in each story, but on the brink for sure. And the stories that we see carry this sense of transition sort of woven through them, this idea of the moment changing, of a chapter closing. And while there is certainly and always some sense of God's work moving forward, there is also a seriousness to these moments, something we need to consider together. Elijah, the great prophet, is preparing to be returned to the Lord. And he has a life-centering, life-altering very important relationship with Elisha. The younger prophet is his protege, his friend, someone he has mentored and loved and shared his life with. Elisha refuses to leave his side and watches until Elijah disappears. And I know you may not know the story of these two men very well, and that's okay, but as you try to imagine this scene, I need to describe and I need for you to try to imagine the deep pain of Elisha as he sees Elijah go. Elisha is losing his person. And if you're a fan of Grey's Anatomy, you know what I mean when I say that. These two men have shared so much 
In some ways, Elijah is the very center of Elisha's human existence. And while they both point their whole lives toward God, and they are about God's work and God's business all the time, Elisha is who he is and has the life he has in large part because of who Elijah was to him. This is the person who taught him about God, the person he traveled with and ate with and served God with. So even though Elisha is a prophet in his own right, and even though his life will go on, his companion on the road has left him. And with this comes what you'd expect. We don't see it so much in the text this morning, but it is there as the story continues that this brings on for Elisha deep pain. It's a painful loss and probably also raises for him some very meaningful questions like, who am I now? And what do I do without him? And can I be a prophet on my own? How do I do the work that God has given me to do? He might have wondered about his vocation, his own identity. Everything would have felt different without his guide, his teacher, and his friend. And in the midst of this grief, he has to try to imagine a way forward. Jesus, too, in the gospel, when we find him, is on the precipice. When we find him on the mountaintop of the transfiguration, everything is about to change for him, for the disciples, and for the whole world. This story comes just before he begins to make his way back to Jerusalem, to the cross, to his death and resurrection. And what the disciples are seeing has just literally got to blow their minds. (laughs) They have been following a rabbi, a teacher, their friend, someone they believed was human. Someone that they think they know inside and out at this point, the way that Elisha and Elijah knew each other. They travel together, they eat together, they work together, they do everything together. And the disciples have given up everything to follow him, to learn from him, to be like him. In many ways, it's a reflection of this ancient pattern that we saw between Elijah and Elisha, a passing on of knowledge and of tradition. And the Jesus that the disciples known and have followed for these last couple of years of his public ministry, this Jesus has some hard lessons and some hard words to be sure. He's not always soft and generous. There are some really difficult pieces in the text for us to contend with. And this Jesus that they know is capable of some amazing things too that they have seen with their own eyes that seem impossible. It's true that they still can't quite pin him down, that they're still learning about him, but what they see on the side of this mountaintop would change everything for them. If they didn't know it yet, it's now, in this moment, in this story, when they realize that he isn't just a rabbi. He isn't just a teacher. He isn't just their friend. He has a divine purpose, a future, a death even, a life to be fulfilled. At the Transfiguration, we believe the disciples were able to see Jesus as he really was, so still recognizable to them, but also suddenly they could see something else, something that the human eye is really not supposed to see, something that we aren't wired to take in, to process, and to understand in our present form. And it could be that the only way they could make sense of it or begin to tell that story is to say what they say in the text, that suddenly his clothes were dazzling white, That may be the only way their brains could process when in fact all of him was changed before their eyes and what they saw was a divine vision coming down the mountain they must have been suddenly aware of who he was and what was ahead of them and probably like elisha they had questions about their part in it how were they meant to follow him to his death 
How were they meant to follow him after his death? Were they capable of being the leaders he needed them to be when he was no longer there? How could they meet all the challenges of this world, of their lives, and still be faithful? In both stories, there is a compelling vision of the power of God, something divine and otherworldly, a sense of loss still, and also of wrestling with what is to come. Both stories show us a sense of the confusion of humanity, even those of us who are faithful, even when we cling to our faith and to our belief. And both stories highlight for us that as God's work continues, there is always good news and a path ahead and a community to share it with, and still there is a seriousness to the path. And sometimes there is loss when we cross the threshold into the future, when a moment passes, when a season changes, As we make our way into the season of Lent, you and I, we stand on a threshold too, waiting for the church season to turn and, and also waiting for the season of our life to turn that, that has now been with us for almost a year. And so I want us to be assured of the goodness of the path ahead, of God's good plans for us, of the surety that there is always a place for you in that plan and a community for you to share it with. But as we make our way into the season of Lent, I don't want us to gloss over the loss we often experience in moments of transition, the questions about how we move forward, the wondering about what it will be like when we cross over the threshold. As the page turns and the season changes, or even as we just stand there, waiting for it to happen as it seems to me we've done for the last year. I read an article this week about how, even though it's been nearly a year in for us in this pandemic season, the vast majority of Americans still haven't dealt with the grief of this time. The article suggested that most of us continue to push it down, to push it off, to push it away. Rather than naming it and looking it in the eye, we get frustrated with other things. We take our anger out on people and institutions and ideas. We get more frustrated than usual with the little things that we just can't stand and can't control. We get upset about the things we can't have, about the distance, about the changes. So looking at the season ahead, standing on this threshold as individuals and as a community, here's what I'd like to ask you to consider. Don't see this season of Lent as a dark, somber time when you have to give up everything and feel badly for yourself. My friends, that was never the point of Lent, even if it's been framed that way for you before. And that frame definitely isn't helpful for us this year. Instead, see it as a season, a space to grieve what you've lost, to lay that out in front of God, and to know that you are in good company with all of God's beloved who have ever lost someone or something that they loved. You are with Mary, who lost her son, Elisha, who lost his person, the disciples who lost their friend, Moses, who wasn't permitted to enter the promised land with God's people, and so many more who have lost people and ideas and moments in time. In your observing of this season, do reallocate your priorities. Do put back God and the relationship that you share with God, put that back at the top of your priorities list. Do persevere in prayer and study. Do find ways to actively love and serve your neighbor. Do find new patterns and new rituals that will help you draw more near to God. 
If fasting and self-denial are helpful for you in your search for God, then incorporate that into your practice of this time too. But if it isn't helpful for you, if you feel like you've fasted enough, if that isn't going to draw you more near to God, then don't do it in this season. Remember that just like for Elisha and for the disciples, following God is hard and giving our life over to Jesus is hard. It's a process for all of us and none of us gets it right 100% of the time. So let this season be first and foremost, another try, another meaningful attempt, another digging in and committing to the work that God has given you to do, but allow yourself also the time and space to remember that you are God's beloved, that this whole story of salvation has unfolded for you to claim you and save you. And even as you cross the threshold into a new season, there is still the promise of what is to come. So let go as much as you can, as much as you can from the other side so that you can make room in your heart and your mind and in the baggage that we all carry to be filled with joy on the other side of not just this church season, but this season of our life together as a people, as a nation. When we come to the threshold of Easter, which we hope will be different, remember that this is the work of Lent, to prepare for joy, to make room for it, to move obstacles out of the way, and to let go of the past so that we can move forward in joy. We aren't there yet, but it is coming. The season will change, new life will come, and God's resurrection will be apparent, apparent again as it always is, appearing in the words and actions of our neighbors, in the love that we share with each other, and in the relationship that we share with God. Remember that even on the threshold, even as we look at loss, there is new life coming. So use this season ahead to make room for it, to be ready for it. Lent will be crowned by Easter, loss by joy and death by life. Amen.